Put it on your belt or in your pocket or wherever you want, but you should be. Should be. Should, should good. Okay. Okay, am I. Can you hear me? Okay, good. Um, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be back and with you, and to look out and see faces that we haven't seen for a long time since we moved. Um, that's always a really pleasant, pleasant experience to be here again in Rochester and at Trinity. Let me get started. Um, there's no clock here. Okay, here we are. That's a true Presbyterian church. No clock visible. That allows the speaker just freedom, I guess. Um, so anyway, let's get started. I want to talk about the fullness of redemption, and to some extent, the the uh, subtitle of my Sunday school class, um, "How the Movies Taught Me to Speak More Biblically About Jesus," is mainly there just to keep the elders on their toes um, as I uh, as I begin um, as I begin to speak. Um, so let's get started. Um, in June of 1889, Vincent van Gogh painted what has become one of the most perhaps famous paintings in all of Western art. Uh, it's called Starry Night. It's not the only starry night that he painted. Um, and as uh, best we can tell, according to art historians, this was the view out the window in the asylum that uh, he was a patient at at the time, patient at the time. And everything in the painting, if I ask you, what do you see? If you think about it for a moment, your eye is forced upward uh, immediately. Even the tree over to the side is like a flame pushing our eyes up to see the, the light in the, in, the, in the sky. It's as if Van Gogh was able to capture in paint the music of the spheres something of the dance of the planets through the night sky. And even though this is just a moment of time because it's a painting, it's like we see time frozen that has gone on through the night. One thing is made very clear is that there is light coming from creation even in the darkness of night. There is light. But there's more. Because if you look closely, there's a village nestled in the hills at the bottom of the painting. And if you look at the houses in the village, you'll notice that there too are sources of light. Some of the houses have windows that are glowing, and you begin to see it. But as we look more closely at this painting, we notice that there's one building in this village from which no light emanates. It's the village church, and it's totally dark. Now, I don't mean to imply anything about knowing what Vincent van Gogh's intention was as he painted this. I'm not an art historian, and um, um, I just don't know his work that well. But I do know that I have thought a lot about this painting, and it strikes me as a painting that is good for our age, whatever van Gogh's intentions were back in 1889. It seems to me, it seems to me that Today, we live at a time and in a culture where the church is recognized, but it's not seen as shedding much light and warmth that's very relevant for everyday life. There is a disconnect between what we see as wanting to speak of light and what is heard by our culture. And they don't see it as light. 
our message is dismissed to some extent as irrelevant. So the question I want to raise with you this morning is, is there any way that we might be able to break through that fog of irrelevance? Now, please understand, I am not proposing here that there is some sort of formula that is going to cause people to believe. There is no such formula and we should never even try to develop or think about it. What I am talking about is, are there ways to continue the conversation instead of just seeing it grind to a halt? Do you get the distinction? And I'd like to propose that there is. And I would like to suggest that if we are paying attention to the movies, to the stories of our culture, we get a clue there as to how perhaps the conversation might be able to continue. And to understand my point, let's consider for just a moment what stories are like. Every human story, whether it's a fairy tale or a western or a space story or a murder mystery or whatever, follows this basic same pattern. There's a situation at play. And then what literary theorists call an occasioning element uh, or event uh, occurs. Something happens. If it's a western, gunslingers move into town and shoot the sheriff. If it's uh, a murder mystery, a body is discovered in a back alley. You, you, know, you, you understand that. Just, and at that point, tension begins to flow. And there's usually complications along the way. There is not many, uh, much evidence left with the body. And, um, you know, now that the sheriff is gone, everybody is afraid. Whatever, you have these complications. And the whole story begins to rise towards a climax. And it's at that point in the climax that resolution begins to occur. In other words, a solution to the problem which has caused everything to become abnormal is suddenly introduced. If it's a western, it's somebody wear, uh, riding a pale horse and wearing a white hat. They're very easy to spot. And um, if, it's, uh, if it's a Thor movie, Thor with his hammer shows up. And you know, okay, we can relax because we don't know how the story will go. But he'll pound the ground and everybody will fall. And somehow that solves everything. So whatever the solution is, or, you know, if it's a fairy tale, the... Um, the hunter or the, the uh, woodcutter shows up in Red Riding Hood. Whatever it is, at that climax, the resolution begins to occur until finally there are resulting settings that go off. It's not the same as it was at the beginning. Things have changed, but things are back calm. If it's a western, the guy on the pale horse rides off into the sunset. The, uh, somebody in town has made the new sheriff the gunslingers are gone. You, you get the gist. Okay. Now, if we also think about this as Christians for just a moment, we'll notice, as a matter of fact, that this story is the flow of the biblical story as well. The biblical story comes in four great stanzas or chapters. Creation, which tells us where we have come from and what is the nature of reality, the fall, what has gone wrong, and of course there's all kinds of complications from the fall. And then redemption, which is the resolution, and we look forward to a restoration which is yet to come when the king returns. Now, this is not because the writers of the Bible somehow massaged the story of redemption to fit how human stories are told. That's not it at all. It's that God has called all things into existence and therefore art 
including the art of storytelling, in fact follows the biblical reality. The biblical story of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration is not simply our belief or our doctrine. It's the story of reality. And all human stories follow this same pattern because, in fact, that is the greater narrative that we live in and move and have our being. Does that make sense? Okay, now, so the question that I want to ask is, okay, let's look at this resolution or this redemption part. What do we see in the movies as the sorts of things that, um, that occur? And just notice, I've just chosen a, f a few movies at, at random. Some are older, some are newer. But nevertheless, these are various stories from our culture. And all I'm doing is pointing out the resolution, the redemption. You understand I'm not talking about being saved in terms of coming to know Christ. I'm talking about redemption and the resolution of the great problem that is within us, a broader term. Okay, so... What are some of the images of redemption in film? Well, one way it's expressed is when being f in being found when lost. I don't know if you watched Lost in translation, but uh, when I saw it, I saw it in the theater. And at the end of the movie, I wanted to stand and just shout out in the theater, this is what the Bible is talking about, about being lost. They nailed it. And the whole movie is about needing to be found when lost. Doesn't work out in the movie, but nevertheless, nevertheless, you see, that's the whole, that's the whole thing. Or in a long journey to home and family, the straight story, a man realizes that he's about to die, he's gotten old, and he realizes he's been alienated from his brother, the only living member of his family, for decades. And so he gets on his riding mower, and he goes on the edge of interstates, across several states, in order to, co to go home. And the final scene is him driving his, his, uh, his John Deere uh, riding mower um, into the yard of his brother. And his brother's sitting on the front porch. And the guy gets off, shuts it off, gets off, gets up under the porch, sits in another chair. Neither one of them say anything. And the camera pulls away. He's home. It's a marvelous story. A marvelous story. And that's a great theme of resolution. And there's movies that aren't so serious as well. Um, sometimes the images of redemption is expressed in stories of rescue or salvation from captivity and death. Die Hard is not exactly what I would call a cognitive film. But nevertheless, nevertheless, it, along with a lot of other adventure stories, are exactly that, capturing and, and being freed. And then, of course, there's stories of, that are tales of divine heroes. Some are, are ancient gods, like the Thor movies. Some are... It's a little hard to tell. Is Diana a goddess? Is she is she simply an Amazon? But how does that qualify? Uh, you know, there's questions. But nevertheless, you have some sort of hero, often divine, or having divine characteristics, which are really needed. Images of redemption in film are also expressed in the need for hope in a dark place. The Shawshank Redemption, if you've seen that. It's a story of a maximum security prison and how hope, once it's lost, really is death. 
in such a place really is death. And how is hope kept alive in such a place like that? And what does it mean for the future and for the possibility of freedom? Lady Bird, a more recent film, it's in the theaters right now. A search for identity, purpose, vocation, and direction. A young woman comes of age in Sacramento, California, as a matter of fact. She's graduating from a Catholic high school and she wonders, what, what should she do? Where should she go? And I think that the film, um, regardless of what you think about certain details in, in this story, the film really captures the great need to, how do, you, how do you find purpose in life? How do you find a direction and a calling more than just a career when in fact there's no story that you've bought into that gives meaning to all of life and society? And it's a very poignant thing. And it's the sort of question that I hear in many young adults today. There's images of redemption in film also about needing relief from the soul-crushing burden of guilt. Manchester by the Sea. It's a hard film to watch. A young man absolutely eaten away by the guilt that is in his life. The church is present in the film, but it offers no relevant relief, no way to connect. And in fact, this is one of the places where the disconnect with our culture and the light we wish to share, the disconnect is perhaps most complete. I don't know whether you've noticed it, but I think most of us as Christians, when we get around to talking about what we believe, the light of the gospel, so to speak, the thing that we often begin to talk about is being forgiven for our sins, which is so very important. Christ died so that we might have forgiveness. The atonement is such a blessed and important thing. My experience has been that as I share that with people in our culture, as the culture has become more post-Christian, more and more people being unchurched, there's a disconnect between even realizing if they believe in sin at all, that's the first issue, if they believe in sin at all, why forgiveness of God would be all that important. And since I can forgive you, for something that you've done without crucifying my child, why couldn't God deal with that? And the crucifixion of an innocent one, an innocent child, for the sin of a stranger seems rather abusive anyway. That's a very major theme that's being discussed in our world. I want people to understand the truth of that, but some work of talking and conversation and growth is going to have to occur before we get there. So I'm not suggesting in any way that forgiveness and grace is something we shouldn't talk about. I am suggesting that it's not the only way to talk about the fullness of redemption and may not be the first thing we need to bring up necessarily. There's other things too. And the solution to humankind's fracturing and all of the division arrival. I don't know if you saw it. Wonderful science fiction movie. Did, did, you, did any of you see the movie? It's really a... Good, good for you. It's really a reversal of the Tower of Babel story. Watch the film and that's all it is. It's a reversal of the Tower of Babel story. Great towers come down. They... Their, high, their tops are in the clouds it's, and um, 
and they bring a single language in order to draw all humankind together and that is going to be the solution for all the divisions. Do you see what I'm getting at in terms of these various themes of redemption, resolution that are found in movies, all these themes? And I hope you've been recognizing that everyone I've mentioned so far is a biblical theme, as a matter of fact. Christ died not just to bring forgiveness, certainly to bring forgiveness, so central, but he also died to solve humankind's fracturing as well, which we're going to see completely when he returns. And of course there's also images of redemption expressed in the meaning of suffering and death. In wit, Vivian Baring, a scholar of English poetry, particularly John Donne's poetry, has spent her entire life doing research. She has no friends. And now that she has stage four ovarian cancer, and as she says in the film, there is no stage five. She's, she's got the cancer and she's, she's 43 years old and she's been in the hospital now for eight grueling months of experimental therapy and the therapy is almost worse than the cancer. It's brought her close to death, brought her into enormous suffering and for eight months we watch her in that hospital bed and not a single visitor because her work has been her focus not relationships and then right at the very end right at the very end when we begin to think in this movie that in fact there will be no resolution there will be no possibility her old college professor professor Ashworth comes to visit her now I'm going to show you that scene. A few of you have already seen this, I'm sure. But I want to show it to you again because it captures the point that I'm trying to make. You see, Vivian Baring's real problem was not her cancer. Her real problem is her aloneness. Her real problem is that she spent her entire life hiding from all relationships. Hiding certainly from friends. She has none. She has also been hiding from God. Now watch this scene.
God. Oh. I'm in town visiting my great-grandson. Who's celebrating his fifth birthday. I went to see you in your office. And they directed me here. Town. I'd forgotten how early it gets chilly here. Feels so bad. Yes, I know you do. I can see. to run away so he said to his mother I'm running away if you run away said his mother I will run after you for you are my little bunny if you run after me said the little bunny I will become a fish in a trout stream and I will swim away from you if you become a fish in a trout stream said his mother I will become a fisherman and I will fish for you. Ah, look at that. A little allegory of the soul. Wherever it hides, God will find it. See, Vivian? If you become a fisherman, said the little bunny, I will be a bird and fly away from you. If you become a bird and fly away from me, said his mother, I 
will be a tree that you come home to. as well stay where I am and be your little bunny and so he did have a carrot said the mother bunny of angels sing thee to thy rest. resolutions and stories that are being discussed in our culture today. Finding a father who will not abandon, that's a big one. Defeating evil armies that have come with destruction and death on mind. There's many more that we could discuss. I would like to make very clear I am not here asking us to change what we say to non-Christians so that it fits our culture. That's the furthest thing from my mind. What I am here to say today is to appeal to us as the people of God to embrace the fullness of the redemption that is offered to us in Christ. All of these themes that I have mentioned are found within the scriptures. The verses that I have placed up here were the first ones that came to mind. But each one could be a study in itself. Because you see, yes, Christ died so that we could be made right with God. It's called justified. And it's a marvelous thing. But he also came and died so that we could be found. He also came and died so that we can have a father. 
And I would like to suggest to you that to the extent that we become more verbally proficient with the fullness of redemption within the scriptures, the more opportunity we're going to have to, in appropriate ways within conversations, to raise things about our faith that in fact might resonate with either the story that's being discussed at the moment or what people are feeling within their own lives in terms of need. The fullness of redemption. I was raised in a family that was really quite, actually more than quite, abusive. I was raised with an enormous amount of shame. Shame was something that was my daily companion. My father died last April. And the last conversation that I had with him, he usually refused to speak to me at all. And the last time I was actually able to have a conversation with him, which was about a year before he died, he told me once again how deeply ashamed he was of me. Now, I'm a grandfather. You might say, eh, you should be able to just handle that. But somehow it still hurts. It hurts. And yes, I rejoice in the forgiveness that I have in Jesus Christ. But I'll tell you what really pulls my chain. It's the discovery in Scripture that Christ is not ashamed to call me his brother. And every time I spend time thinking about that and really living in that text, something comes alive in my soul. And God, as my Heavenly Father, is not ashamed to be called their God. My God. I discovered when I was a young adolescent that although I had a father, I probably would never have a dad. And sadly, that turned out more or less to be true. But the scriptures tell me that Christ died on the cross so that I might receive adoption as sons. And in fact, that the Spirit of God has been sent into my heart in order to help me be able to say to my Heavenly Father, Abba, Abba Father, He is the one who will not abandon and who will not ever say He is ashamed. Okay. My time's almost up, so... Let me give you three suggestions for faithfulness in terms of what I have tried to reflect on in this class. Three things. First of all, I would encourage us all to live in Scripture, live in Scripture in the full richness of redemption in Christ. Look, 
I think that if we started talking about what images of redemption in Scripture really are the thing that stand out to us, we might be surprised at what the other person says. And to hear one another's stories and to go back to those passages of Scripture and spend time not just reading them, certainly read them, but actually living in them, meditating on them, causing them to actually sink down into our souls and our imaginations will simply increase our ability to be able to talk about them more richly. And as we hear one another's stories, we might in fact begin to see that those things which, you know, yeah, we believe them, but they weren't that deeply meaningful to us, suddenly, yes, they're deeply meaningful. So, live in Scripture in the full richness of redemption in Christ. Yes, we have forgiveness of sins. And yes, we're going to celebrate that in the, in the table, the sacrament of the Lord's, Lord's Supper this morning. Yes, that is central. But it is not the only image we are given. And that is not the fullness of our redemption. It's merely central. So, live in Scripture in the full richness of redemption in Christ. Listen for themes of redemption in the stories being discussed by our neighbors. Look, every one of the films that I put up here, I would have criticisms of. Okay? There are things in every one of these films that I would probably disagree with. But that's not always the point. Nevertheless, as I see in these films, a resolution, a, a, a partial solution, or in some cases, a recognition of the problem, and then somehow in the story, a recognition by the filmmaker that they don't have a solution to the story. What an opportunity to be able to speak and to say, that's why I'm a Christian. That's why I'm a Christian. In fact, there is something of a resolution. And then lastly, find creative ways to speak of the fullness of redemption that might intrigue rather than end the conversation. Remember, that's what I said at the beginning I wanted to do, is to find ways to propose ways in which we continue the conversation rather than end it. I want, with my non-Christian neighbors and friends, to be able to talk about forgiveness in Christ because I want them to bow before Him as Savior. Yes, indeed. But I also want them to be found because I know they're lost. I also want them to have a Father who will not abandon. I also want them to look forward to the day when the King is going to return and He's going to defeat the enemies, the armies of the enemy once and for all and it's going to be done. And it's going to make the battles in the Thor movies look like trivia. That is what we have in Jesus Christ. It's full, it's rich, and it's deep. And we may actually need to get together and brainstorm together. How do we do this? How do we speak in such creative ways? Some of us may not think of ourselves as creative with words. Well, there will be others that do. We can learn together. 
And then perhaps by God's grace, as we dwell in the fullness of redemption and speak out of that richness to the stories of our culture, perhaps we'll find ways to continue the conversation and be able to say ultimately, yes, the problem is, that's the right, that's right, that is a problem. And oh, by the way, the divine hero has come. He's come. And he's going to come again. Let's pray. Gracious Father, I thank you for what you have provided for us in Jesus Christ. I thank you that it is not a simple salvation, a shallow solution. But it touches on every aspect of life and reality. I thank you that Christ's death certainly was for our forgiveness, but also for so much more, because our need is so deep and so great that it extends to all of reality as far as the curse is found. Help us to speak out of that richness. And I pray, Father, that we would learn to help the conversations continue rather than end, so that perhaps some might hear the good news and see that it actually is light, true light. The same light, as a matter of fact, that shines in the heavens in the work of your hands. And we pray these things in the strong name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Thank you.